from the STEM Global Action Studios in New Orleans. This is the Let's Talk STEM with SGA's Dr. Calvin Mackey podcast. STEM Global Action is a national leader in creating STEM-based learning activities and delivering them virtually and in communities around the globe to students grades K through 12. Here's today's moderator, Ken Sane. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Let's Talk STEM with Dr. Calvin Mackey. I'm Ken Sane. Our guest today is Mr. James Barrow from Children's Minnesota, a major hospital system in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hello, Mr. Burroughs. Thank you for coming. Hello, Ken. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. And of course, let's say hello to our host and fearless leader, Dr. Calvin Mackey. Hey, how you doing, Ken? Uh, once again, I'm very excited to be here with Let's Talk STEM with my friend and actually Morehouse classmate, James Borrow. Uh, I've been waiting for this. I mean, he's doing some amazing work, uh, definitely in Minnesota and across this country. So let's get it. Let's do it, great, man. Great. So, James, you've had a, a long and a very successful career. Uh, we like to start off with getting a little background and uh, tell us your story. Tell us who you are, what you do and where you come from and how you got there. Sure. I guess I'll start by saying born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, when I left Detroit in 1985, went down to Morehouse College, uh, where I was a classmate of Dr. Mackey. Uh, enjoyed my life down there. was a political science pre-law major. Uh, so I had no choice but to go to law school because couldn't get a job after that with political science degree. I uh, went on to Georgetown Law School um, and after Georgetown came to Minnesota in 1992. Uh, came here to do some trial and legal work and work for a federal judge with the intent of always staying here two years and then leaving to go back to Atlanta or back to D.C. Uh, or Detroit, for that matter. My goal in life was to be mayor of Detroit. Uh, when I grew up and I uh, was going to go back to be the mayor. But 30 years later, I'm still here in Minnesota. I've had a, a good run of many types of careers and serving the community. And uh, I'm very blessed. I have a nine-year-old daughter, uh, Teresa Ann Burroughs, who has a, is a sickle cell warrior as well. And uh, I enjoy being with her, hanging out with her. And uh, she's the, the, the love of my life and the light of what I do. So uh, that's me in a nutshell, Ken. Being in Minnesota, you all have had some, some social issues that have raised to the national level, uh, namely George Floyd and primarily also COVID. And those two instances raised uh, the, the whole issue and put a spotlight on different inequities in our society. Uh, can you speak to some of those inequities and how you all have been dealing with them? Sure. I, I want to go back, if you don't mind, uh, uh, Brother Calvin, to before George Floyd, there was a brother named Philando Castile. That's right. Um, and at the time, uh, Philando was murdered by police. I worked for the governor here, Governor Mark Dayton at the time, as the chief inclusion officer for the state. So when that murder happened in July of 2016, uh, I knew my job and my life had changed. So I worked with the family, worked with his mother, his uncles, uh, to get kind of relief and investigation of how we need to change police practices. Unfortunately, that not guilty verdict um, didn't lead to civil unrest, but led to a lot of unrest in our communities, which fostered even got even more expansive when George Floyd was murdered uh, as well. Uh, how those things have impacted the community and those inequities, it's highlighted them. It's highlighted them. It's spotlighted them. It's put the, the sunshine on things that we all know in our own communities are true. We don't get adequate health care. We don't have full service grocery stores with fruits, vegetables, and other things in community. We don't have access to, 
to middle class and high paying jobs. We don't have access to high quality housing or adequate housing. All of those things have been true for a long time, but with George Floyd's murder and the civil unrest, it brought a lot of attention to it, not only in Minnesota, but George Floyd was international news on a daily basis. So that international news led to the spotlight being shown on COVID, but also to other inadequate healthcare practices around the black and brown communities as well. So um, answer your question, Calvin, you know, that murder of George Floyd, the international coverage led to that spotlight on the news. And it also too made corporations have to say something. They couldn't just ignore it in the past and just say, hey, that's either government work or that's public safety. They had to say something after a nine minute, 39 second video of a man being murdered on international news. So that made it a little different this time. Great. Uh, I wanted to bring that up because really that, that's pretty much the essence of your work, the essence of your life and your commitment, you know, at Children's Minnesota. Uh, but, you know, but being at a, in, a, in a health system, can you also talk to some of the things that was really brought about in terms of the inequities, in terms of social determinants of health and the lack of access to uh, great health care, good health care for low income, low resource communities? Sure. I mean, some of the things are as simple as uh, getting to the hospital location. So we have two hospitals, one in St. Paul, one in Minneapolis proper. The one in Minneapolis was six blocks from the door where George Floyd was murdered. So if you remember during the civil unrest, you had National Guards, you had boarded up buildings, ours being one of them, and National Guards out in the presence. Public transportation was hard to get to. So most of our, our parents and families of color take public transportation. So it was inaccessible for them to come to the hospital system and get their kids checked uh, as a regular basis, a well-child check. So that exacerbated those health disparities. Another thing that exists here, uh, housing. Uh, as you know, a lot of civil unrest led to the burning of buildings, houses, homes, and businesses. Those businesses were burned down in predominantly neighborhoods of color. So once again, um, the neighborhoods of color burning down, the housing burning down, access to home ownership or rental homes that have provide access for these families to have a stable home to be in, which is one of those social determinants of health, was impacted by that uh, civil unrest. To go further than that, jobs. Uh, a lot of jobs were impacted tremendously by COVID and also too by the civil unrest. So let's say that you know we have these work from home jobs now that it's accessible to a lot of folks. Well, let's say you have a home where you got eight people in the, in the home. You got the parents, you got kids, you got aunts and uncles. I grew up with my grandmother, so my grandmother lived in the home at all particular times. It was not necessarily in my house a, a quiet place to go work, to go to school, to get on the Zoom or computer. And once again, do our families and our employees have access to internet? Some of them don't have access to internet. So therefore, that other social determinant of health employment was impacted and also access to internet. So, Calvin, all of those things, uh, plus more, were impacting the way our families could access the healthcare system, access employment, have safe and, and fair housing uh, that they could be in, and also, too, just live. Day-to-day um, -day living was hard as a Black and brown person during that time, too, because once again, let's go back to when George Floyd was murdered. Nobody felt safe calling the cops for anything. Nobody felt safe going to different neighborhoods. And after George Floyd was murdered, if you remember, Dante Wright was murdered uh, soon thereafter, a 17-year-old man in Brooklyn Center. And after that, uh, Amir Locke 
was another person killed by police on a no-knock warrant um, only three to four months ago as well. So uh, that impacted what I call, not what I call, what is racial trauma in the community as well. So you deal with all those social determinants of health, plus racism, plus racial trauma dealing with police shootings and public safety. It was just a hard time and still is for our community. You know, Marlon King said a ride is the language uh, of the unheard. And you have definitely been a voice for many of the people that felt they've, they've been unheard. And I'm glad we started off talking about the social justice and the inequity piece, because on Let's Talk STEM, a lot of people don't see STEM and healthcare and things like that as social justice. So when we don't have access to the things that otherwise would give us uh, a healthy, productive life, environment, community, uh, family, uh, even the air, those are social justice issues. And that's why we, we created this platform to bring voices like yours uh, to the platform to let the community know that all of these things are just as important. We can have policy, we can go in the courtroom, we can fight for bills, and we must do that. But we also have to make sure that we have access to uh, great education, uh, pathways that allow our kids to become whatever God has impregnated them to become. So can you talk about, you know, that, that intersectionality between social justice and, and healthcare, like the lack of, of, of black and brown doctors, uh, and, you know, and things like that that impact your industry? Yeah, I, I, you make a great point. The, the point for me is that intersectionality drives all the work we're trying to do. Uh, because let's, let's know that this is for sure. When I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, uh, I saw people who look like me on a daily basis. So the owner of the grocery store was a black man. Um, Mr. Morton owned the cleaning shop. Mr. Goody owned a pool hall. Uh, there were plenty of black car dealerships, plenty of black funeral home directors, plenty of black people in general who owned businesses. So when I grew up, I saw representation of people who look like me. So I knew I could be anything in the world. I could be a lawyer, I could be a doctor. My doctor was black when I was a little kid. So that representation matters. So it goes to the, the point you asked, how does it impact those things in community and social justice? If I don't see anyone who looks like me at all uh, in any profession in the hospital system, doctor, nurse, medical assistant, uh, CSA, radiologist, technician, laboratory technician, I see nobody looks like me. I then get the image that, man, maybe this is not for me. But I see everybody on the basketball court they look like me. Okay, I need to go play basketball. All my boys are playing football. Let me go play football. And not saying either of those things are wrong because I played basketball, football growing up. But if that's the only thing I think I can be, that determines sometimes my trajectory and what I think I can be. So the social justice aspect for me starts with who do you see in those particular places and spaces who looks like you? The other aspect of it is what we forget about is uh, you got lawyers, you got policymakers, you got all that. But the economy is driven and innovation is driven by those in STEM careers. Uh, the things that you do, Dr. Mackey, the things that you do with your STEM Saturdays, the, the young people in white coats, that innovation, that knowledge, that you know, uh, creative knowledge to, to create solutions for the things in the future, the problems of the future is what we need. And a lot of times those things are impacted by social justice. What I learned so much about was the social determinants of health. I knew nothing about that growing up as a kid. I didn't know what the social determinants of health were. But then I figured out, oh, it's just me. It's getting some housing, some employment, uh, making sure that the, the water and air is clean. Like, oh, that's social justice. Now, healthcare has ignored those things for the last 50, 60, 70, 80 years. But now I think it's an opportunity for young people, 
to get involved in these careers, to get involved in these opportunities to change things from a social justice lens, that you can serve in those aspects of the jobs you have with a social justice equity lens. So you can see if the impact on, let's say, disparities in asthma, which we have, uh, are impacting the Black community more than the white community, you can dig deeper and say, why is that happening? Is it the air can is the air within the homes or is it the lead within the homes? Is it um, other things within the community? Are there dump sites in communities of color more so than dump sites in the white community? Those are the kind of things you can look at. With access to well child checks and well child visits, which we have a disparity in as well, do our parents have access to getting their kids to and from a clinic? Whereas opposed that a lot of those families are two income families, both parents are working, they don't have transportation. Or a lot of times they have been treated in a racist manner in a healthcare system. Like, why would I go to the doctor? You know, growing up as a kid, the, the doctor for me was the ER. So if I got hurt and was bleeding too bad and the Band-Aid and the back team didn't protect it, okay, we're going to go to the ER and put a patch on it, get some stitches and roll out. It wasn't going to the healthcare system that kind of treated us in a racist manner sometimes uh, if we weren't, you know, necessarily looking like, uh, the traditional white family, even in the city like Detroit, that happens. So, and, and that's a great point you bring up. And we are trying to bridge that gap between the the lack of representation of healthcare workers uh, and and what our kids do and do not see. Uh, recently, we just had a lung and respiratory day where we had over two hundred kids in white lab coats, and we had upward of fifty healthcare professionals. We had a couple of uh, what it is, uh, cardiac thoracic surgeons. We had. Uh, you know, re uh, surgery residents out. We had uh, black and brown students from LSU and Tulane Medical School. We had pre-medical students from Tulane. But to see these families and to see these kids respond to the fact that they were in a, a safe place, in a collaborative environment with healthcare workers, really created a mindset that I can be this too. Most time, kids and parents only get to meet doctors when they're sick. But what we're trying to do is bring together these entities and these stakeholders so that they can develop this relationship so that our kids, our kids can dream. And that's one way I think all of us have to look at this issue, right? If it doesn't exist in our community, we have to bring it, you know, we have to bring it to our community. We, we do. I mean, you've talked about this with me on, on plenty of times off camera, uh, that if we only bring to our community uh, athletics or music, uh, that's what our community is going to want to be. Our young people are going to emulate those things. No, you're wrong. We had those things growing up too. But we also had images who looked like us, who were those doctors, who were those surgeons, who were those lawyers. Um, my mama told me at seven years old, um, she called me Jim. My dad was big Jim. I was little Jim. Uh, I got rid of Jim, so don't call me Jim today. But uh, <laughs> she said, Jim, you know, you argue so much, you're going to be a, a lawyer. So at seven years old, I was like, man, okay, I'm going to be a lawyer. And from that point forward, I introduced myself to lawyers, met black lawyers, saw people look like me. I uh, spent a lot of time watching C-SPAN, you know, what even C-SPAN, right? you know, just political uh, shows that came on as well. Uh, those are the kind of things that get people excited, get kids excited about where they want to be. So I think it's, it's great that the work that you're doing, those STEM careers that you show folks. And also, too, it's not only about just being a doctor or a nurse. So let's be clear. We have finance careers in healthcare. We have legal careers, general counsel, we call it in healthcare. We have radiologists, we have lab technicians uh, in healthcare as well. We have medical assistants who are patient-facing care, but you don't have to have a medical degree uh, as well. So those are a lot of different careers. We have facilities. We have own 
uh, I want to say we own two hospital systems and we own about 12 clinics. So we have facilities, real, real estate management is something that we have to do as well. Investor relations, we are, um, a, a hospital is blessed to have a foundation that has a billion dollars in assets that we need to invest in different aspects and do make more money for the organization and the hospital system. So we have investor relations positions. So there are lots of things people can do outside of being a doctor or a nurse. Now I'm encouraging them. We need more doctors and nurses. We have a large shortfall there, but I really want to encourage folks too that apply to different systems like Children's Minnesota or others, uh, even if you're looking for a non-medical career. Great. Look here, so, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have me come down to New Orleans now. Don't have me come down. <laughs> hey, Ken, go ahead, Ken. <laughs> so, so it seems, James, that what, what, what we're hearing, what I'm learning from this conversation is that hospital system, the healthcare industry, is exactly that. It's an industry. It's an economic engine for communities. And that STEM skills and STEM-related careers can be found within the health field, but not necessarily as a medical doctor or nurse or something like that. So, you know, if you are, if you're learning computer science, there's, there's room for you in the health field is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. I mean, and there are also a lot of research careers in STEM as well that would be beneficial. We have an entire research department that uh, looks at research, medical research. It's not necessarily them applying it with patient care, but it's looking at research analysis, statistics, uh, doing mm -hmm. disparities research. So when we talk about disparities, what I mean by that is if there's white people doing well, that's specifically the, the, the model we look at, and then we look at communities of color, we break it down and disaggregate Black, Latino, Native, and Asian, we see that there's a disparity in care. So that disparity has to go through an analytical framework to say, okay, we look at that disparity, how do we measure it? Then also, too, how do we make incremental gains around that, which require STEM knowledge, careers about math, careers about statistics, but it's not necessarily medically related to patient care. So there's no kind of accounting, too, you know, um, which is you know, uh, you know, math and science is important. Now, I didn't do very well in either one of them, so I went the law route. But, um, you know, math and science uh, can be beneficial in all different kinds of careers other than uh, medicine. I will say this, though. One of the things that I love about, you know, STEM NOLA and seeing the young kids in white coats is once you put on that white coat, and I'm sure you've seen it, that, that, that confidence goes up. That level of, man, I could do anything goes up. And that what I love to see in our young people. So when they do decide to get into medicine, you know, they've been wearing a white coat since they've been five years old. So they get their white coat when they graduate medical school. It's where they're supposed to be. It's not a new thing to them. It's where they were supposed to be and where you all have put them in a place to say, okay, this is my rightful place. I need to own it. So I want to give a shout out to you during this interview around making sure that our young people in those careers feel like they're supposed to be there as well. Right. The only thing we're trying to do is find an entry entry point, right? So I look at Xavier University, where STEMNOLA headquarters is located, and they bring in hundreds of students every year that say they want to be medical doctors. They bring in physicists, uh, biologists, and chemists who say they want to be medical doctors. Xavier put in about 100 kids a year into medical school. But what happened to the other seven, 800 kids? It's not that they're lost. It's just that now they've found opportunity in other places. So, I mean, you can run a hospital. You have big data. You have predictive analytics. You have coding. You have cybersecurity. Everything that we talk about in STEM, 
But I want the parents to know and the community to know you can find in a hospital. The things that's going on in Google and Microsoft, you can find in a hospital from bioinformatics. I'll never forget, I went to the uh, American Association for Orthopedic Surgeons out in San Diego, their major conference. And you had this big conversation about how the fact that we have a dirt of black orthopedic surgeons, which is true. But when I went over to the exhibit center, I saw multi-billion dollar uh, 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 medical supply companies. I mean, so when kids get this, this basic foundation in STEM, uh, they can go do all of these all of these things. And that's why, James, I don't focus on just healthcare and I just don't focus on science. I just don't focus on the technology. We have to give our kids all of these ex experiences and exposure such that they can find themselves and find their place. I tell a story about my son, my youngest son. He came to me and said, Dad, I don't want to do STEM. I want to use my voice. And I said, boy, that's STEM too. When you start looking at sales and marketing, uh, you start talking about being a spokesperson for a healthcare system or even being an equity officer. I mean, that is, you got to have a, a reservoir of STEM knowledge, but you also have to have, to have the ability to engage and speak to the community and other people. So that's why we're taking this holistic approach to STEM. Uh, do you have any anything to add on why STEM is so important, you know, to the to the healthcare industry? I think you summed it up. I think the only thing I would add is that STEM is transferable to many different types of careers. So uh, I equate STEM to my my law degree. So I got a law degree thirty years ago. People are like, oh, you're gonna be a lawyer? You're gonna be in the courtroom? That's gonna be? But no. I went from being a lawyer in the courtroom to being a general counsel uh, advisor at a nonprofit. I went from there to being a stockbroker for Merrill Lynch. I went from there to being a party and club promoter for a couple of years, getting my 20s together, you know, doing what I want to do in the clubs. I went from there to, you know, going to work at a, a school district where I was uh, working in equity and inclusion. So that law degree helped me go out other places. Same with the STEM degree. You don't have to be pigeonholed into one particular area. You can try different things and all those careers that you mentioned, you can try that with that STEM knowledge, STEM degree. And you still need to know how to communicate, advocate for yourself and move things forward as well. So um, you, you've covered it pretty well. And I, I just added those those few things about, you know, it's transferable to any types of industries. Yeah, but but I, I didn't say, tell me about that being a party promoter, man. That's what got me. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that was, you know, you, you, get, you get laid off from a job and you're like, okay, I got some money now. so. I like music. I've been a DJ all my life, a DJ 20 years. You know, I said, let me go book some acts and try to make some money. Well, the thing about Minnesota is we have some black people, but we don't have New Orleans level of black people. So I brought <laughs> large numbers. So you're going to do so many black concerts for money. So I got out of that real fast. <laughs> but, but you know, I brought that up and I brought it up jokingly, but I'm kind of serious because when I started STEM NOLA, uh -huh. my, my challenge was how do I reach the community? Yep. And I started looking around the city and I had buddies who was who, who pr promoted rap concerts, promoted parties, and they were speaking to the people who I otherwise were trying to reach. And mm -hmm. literally, I went and sat down with these guys and young ladies. I mean, these are the people that, you know, they do the runners for, you know, for the hip hop concerts and they, they put up the, the post. And that, that is the basis of our marketing and communication strategy for STEM NOLA. So what you're saying jokingly, right? Is essence is really the essence of, of the way in which we engage, which we engage people. So the bottom line is that we're talking about transferable skills. And yep. parents, hear me out. We just had a we just had an entire uh, podcast on esports and how if your kids play esports, how all of these different skills can transfer into other areas. 
We want you to know that all the different things that your kids are doing, we have to look at it from a different lens and see how we can take that and transfer it into a way that they can be uh, impactful and powerful beyond beyond their, beyond their dreams. Oh, yeah. That's so true, man. And, and the communication skills that you get from those kind of careers and the messaging and, and how you get people to do something, it also transfers to getting out the vote. A lot of friends I know who are in club and party promotions, they're now in the politics because they know how to raise a crowd. They know how to get people to listen to something, get people to come to it as well. Uh, and that's what things that people need to realize too. As you recruit, at least my feeling is, as you recruit different communities, uh, whether it's the Somali community, the Latino uh, community, whether it be the Asian community, the black community, you need to recruit and reach them in different ways. You can't just say, I put it in the newspaper at the Star Tribune and all the kids should have seen that, or I put it in the school district's newsletter that went home to the families. No, you didn't put it on the radio station. You didn't put it down at the park. You didn't go down there where everybody's hanging out for the summer or on a Saturday night. That's the kind of thing I'm getting my hospital system to understand as well. When you talk about community engagement, it doesn't mean community coming to me. It means me going into the community and being a part of it on a regular basis. I laugh all the time. People say, well, we want to develop community partners. I mean, I say to them, you mean the people I always mess with or hang out with the entire week? So they're my partners through the week. So when it's time to do community work, I'm already in it. I don't have to do a special note or a special letter to get involved. So those skills are very transferable and are very important. And I don't want to belabor this point, but you, you touched on something and it speaks to those inequities, right? We see the inequities at the end of the pipeline, but a lot of people don't realize those inequities started way upstream, mm -hmm. way upstream in the marketing and the way we talk to communities, uh, the way we don't approach communities. Uh, one thing we started stemming on, we say we meet the community where they are. And we have a large Honduran, uh, if I'm saying that right, community in New Orleans, and we have a large, large Vietnamese community in New Orleans. So okay. it was, uh, and, you know, it, I had to uh, adapt everything I was doing, you know, in terms of Vietnamese language and, and, and uh, Spanish language so that those people can feel uh, inclusive into everything that we were doing. We meet them, we met them where they are. So I'm glad you brought that out. Uh, Ken, you'll speak to that Pew study? Yeah, I think, you, 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 I'm, thank you for that. One of the things that I want to, let's talk about this. There's a the Pew study basically came out and said that one of the biggest issues that we all face is representation. The lack of a representation has led to this uh, perception that careers where Black people, Black Americans are saying that careers in science and engineering are not welcoming to the Black community. And, but it also says that if there was more representation, their feelings would probably change. And that's why I'm so glad to be a part of something like this, where we're literally bridging the gap between what Dr. Mackey is doing with young people and James, what you're saying is needed in the, in the health field. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what stands in the way of us bridging that gap. How do we normalize within our community that these are careers that are open and available to us and these are sustainable careers as well? So you make several good points. I'll just start by saying representation, representation matters. So you have to see people who look like you in order for you to get engaged and get involved. We talked about that a little earlier. If you don't see anybody looks like you, you think, well, the community thinks that's not for us. The mm -hmm. other thing, though, is just as important is even if you get representation, it has to be 
an inclusive environment. So I'll speak on lawyers real quick before I get to STEM. I was one of, um, I want to say one of two Black lawyers at a firm of about 220 in litigation when I worked in Minnesota in 1994. Um, I didn't see anybody look like me and nobody else saw people look like me. So they weren't necessarily inclusive to like make sure that James felt included in everything they did. They went to Dan O'Brien's on Friday for the drink in. They went to somebody else for drinking on Thursday. They went to the country club on Saturday. Things that I already know came from Detroit, nothing about. Um, so it wasn't necessarily an inclusive environment. So just because you have representation or you're starting representation, you have to make the, the environment conducive, as Dr. Mike said, meet people where they are in a way that they can communicate as well. The other piece of that is, too, how people are treated in these systems impact the willingness or the belief that they feel like they can be included in there or be a part of the system. So if I'm discriminated against on a daily basis when I come to a hospital system, I'll give you an example. My daughter has sickle cell disease. Uh, she's a cute nine-year-old kid now. She goes into the doctor. The doctor will say to her, you know, if you've got pain, just let me know. We'll give you some medicine for that. The challenge becomes when she gets to be a 26, 27-year-old adult, and she comes in in so much severe pain, she can't express to them, you know, how much this pain hurts her. They start asking questions like, well, are you taking drugs? Um, have you taken drugs before? Uh, what are you going to use these pain medicines for? Do you have a boyfriend or some other family you're selling them for? Those biases come into this system. And forget that. That's not bias. This racism is into this built into the system that treats her and others like that. So when they come into this system, they're saying, you know what? Of course, they don't want me in this system because it's a racist system that treats me with disdain when I come into it and treats me with disdain when I ask for and seek medical uh, treatments that everybody else should have as well. So I think that's the third thing, Ken. I think those are the things that limit people's ability to see themselves. They're not feeling valued or included. And also, too, they've been treated in a racist, discriminatory manner over several years because uh, of that's the way the system is built. So when I talk about the system, too, it's not just healthcare. It's all the social systems around it that reinforce that as well. So those social determinants of health, they've been discriminated against in housing, employment, education and other places. And this is also the last batch of what they do discriminate against too in healthcare as well. So I think all those things contribute. That's great. That's great. We, we're about to run out of time. Uh, Dr. Mackey, last words. You know, I mean, this, this has been great. I mean, over the last two years dealing in, you know, dealing with a global pandemic, uh, it has shown us the need for everybody to be uh, STEM literate and more importantly, health literate. So at STEM Nolan, at STEM Global Action, we've created this platform to try to bring as much information we, we can in a very uh, plain way, like Malcolm X would say, make it, make, make it plain to people where they can digest it and, and then make, uh, make uh, actionable decisions based on the knowledge that they have. I'd like to say thank you to James Burrow for being here today and making it plain for the community. Uh, at STEM Global Action, we look forward to, to, you know, to partnering with you. Anything we can do to help you, your mission, and your goals move forward uh, in the Minnesota area and across this country, don't hesitate to call to call us. And you know, man, you know, Morehouse uh, did well. They did well to have uh, two of their sons today chopping it up on issues uh, that, you know, maybe can just transform a life. They definitely did. Thank you all for inviting me. I appreciate being here. And we will partner. We will bring social justice and social change through STEM 
to Minnesota and do some great things as well. So thank you for having me, Ken. Thank you for having me, uh, Dr. Mackey. Great. Have a nice thank, thank you for joining us, James. And thank you again, Dr. Mackey. That's our episode for today here where we'd like to talk about STEM. We hope you'll come back and join us. And in the meantime, follow us on all of our social media channels. Thanks again. We'll talk to you later. You've been listening to a STEM Global Action Podcast. Through our STEM-based programming, we put students on a path towards quality jobs in science, technology, engineering, and math. Visit us at www.stemglobalaction.com. Until next time, let's keep talking STEM. Thank you.